Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, practicing veterinarian and reporter for the Veterinary News Network, Dr. Roger Welton, coming to you live from Florida's Pace Coast. A very good evening to you, and thank you very much for joining me. I'm happy, 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 happy to announce that the Yankees finally got one after a couple of painful games. Yes, we won tonight. We took the series to 3-2 against the Texas Rangers, and we were moving on to the next game. Hopefully we can tie it up and take this thing to a Game 7. For those of you not Yankee fans out there or have any ill feelings towards the Yankees, I do apologize, but I'm a diehard. Grew up in Northeast New Jersey originally and was basically born in pinstripes, so please forgive me for... uh, for uh, you know, angering you. I'm still a good guy, even though I'm a Yankee fan, I promise. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very cool show for you this evening. But before I k- kind of get on to business here, I just want to give you my call-in number for all of you to call in if you should have any questions, concerns that you would like to air tonight live. It's toll-free, 1-877-878-1435. That number, once again, one 877 Three five. Give me a call if you have any questions about anything veterinary, pet, dog, cat related, or if you have any questions or comments or concerns regarding anything we're talking about this evening. Doesn't matter what it is. Feel free to give me a call anytime. I have a, a pretty amazing story to tell you tonight. Um, it, it's going to be my first news piece. Just really quickly uh, before I get there, just I, I'd like you to. Bear with me for just one moment because I have a little follow-up on the natural pet food discussion we had a couple of weeks ago, um, and of course we're going to we're going to talk about leptospirosis on the rise as our final topic, as that was the title of this broadcast. It's a very important topic. That's actually straight from the Veterinary News Network, and looking forward to getting to that as well. But the news piece tonight is is pretty amazing. But very quickly, as I like to often do, is correlate experiences that I have during the work week into my my broadcasts that are relevant to the things we've been talking about. And of course, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how natural pet food can be, you know, all good and fine and, and you know, natural and organic. Holistic is all good, but, you know, you have to be careful with which ones you choose because they're not always well nutritionally balanced. Talk about precautions to take. I'm not going to go over the whole episode, of course, because you can always refer to it, uh, you know, in, in my archives. We're archived, of course, at Blog Talk Radio as well as at iTunes.com. So feel free to brush up on that episode if you have any questions about that. But bottom line is that I, I guess in the end, the the main premise of what I was getting at that particular day is that yes, do your due diligence about natural pet food. Uh, you know, we 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 love the word natural and we love you know the words organic and holistic. That's wonderful. I'm a big fan of it, not just for my pets, but for myself and my family. But they're not all nutritionally balanced well, and there are certain precautions you can take. And I'll, you know, again, have you refer to that episode for more information on that and how to take precautions. But the other thing, too, is that assuming that natural, holistic, organic is the answer to everything, you know, that's a big mistake that a lot of people make. And that's what I want to talk about tonight because I have actually really two really good examples of what I was talking about. And what, the the first one is this little Maltese dog. I've been treating him for some time. He's actually originally was was the runt of the litter, 
so he was very small and he's he's not that old. I mean, he's only a four-year-old dog and I'm not going to talk about his name or the owner's name because we don't do that. We have to maintain patient doctor client confidentiality just we just like we do in the in the human medicine. But uh I can talk about his case though because the bottom line is this. This little dog was born with what's known as a portosystemic shunt. So probably because he was the runt, the runt, he has this congenital problem. And basically, this is what a portosystemic shunt means. The patient exists as a fetus inside the mother's uterus. And the a, a lot of what occurs is actually... Um, it's completed by the mother. So, so the oxygenation of the blood, for example is performed by the mother's lungs. So the basically the the blood is bypassed away from the puppies or the you know the the, the fetal lungs because basically it's it's the mother's lungs that are going to oxygenate the blood and return it and oxygenate the tissues to the little fetuses within her uterus. Well, the same occurs at the level of the liver because the, one of the primary functions of the liver is detoxification. So Instead of having the little fetus's liver that's still developing be responsible for detoxification of the blood, it's actually the mother's blood that's going to be, or the mother's liver that's going to be responsible for that. So what happens is blood is, you know, kind of diverted around the fetal liver, and it's the mother's liver that's actually going to detoxify the blood and then return it to the fetus purified. So, so the the bottom line of what I'm saying is there's these little sort of, we call them shunts, which are diversions, these little divergent vessels that go around the lungs and go around the liver when they're in this little uh, fetal compartment inside the mommy still. When they're born, of course, these shunts close and then the neonate is outside the mother responsible for its own detoxification at the level of the liver and, of course, responsible for its own oxygenation at the level of the lungs. So hopefully I didn't get into too much, you know, medical jargon regarding that because I just had to quickly explain it to to talk about this case because there are occasions when the closure of those mechanisms don't fully happen and they remain open and they cause problems. So we're not going to talk about the problem at the level of the lungs, but let's talk about the problem at the level of the liver if that divergent vessel doesn't close like it's supposed to, then making the the neonate's liver responsible for its own detoxification and and liver metabolism. So this thing remains open either partially or even completely. And what happens is rather than have circulation of the blood primarily moving through that liver, detoxifying and providing a lot of the basic metabolic needs of the little, of the little patient, um, the, the, the blood is going around it and is bypassing it, and that's why we call it a shunt. And in the case of the liver, it's called a portosystemic shunt. So this little dog has this problem, has had it since birth. Well, this dog didn't come into my life until last later, I would say just a little over a year ago, and <clears throat> came in because it had chronic stool problems. She had mentioned this shunt in passing, and I told her that, you know, first and foremost, before we go any further, we need to investigate the magnitude of the shunt. Or for whatever reason, it wasn't in, it wasn't uh, investigated as thoroughly as I would have liked to. So I do some tests, and the bottom line is that when I 
ran the test. Yes, it did indicate that there was a problem at the level of the liver, that it wasn't receiving complete circulation at the time when I first met this dog over a little over a year ago. It wasn't at a magnitude that I was that concerned about. And basically, I told her we're going to do some liver protective supplements that are going to help. We're going to put the dog on a on a bit of a special diet, and we're going to see if the dog thrives better. And, you know, over time, the, the dog did pretty well. However, we, we also had to institute, um, you know, antibiotics periodically because it did suffer from chronic recurring diarrhea. So as far as the liver problem is concerned, it was also causing secondary bowel issues. Well, anyway, long story short, I'm sorry about all the background, but this is really important for you to hear about because this lady called me this week, and the diet that I have the dog on is a diet known as prescription ID made by the Hills Corporation, which is one of the biggest players in the creation of uh, disease-specific diets, and they are prescription diets. In this dog's particular case, I selected the diet ID because of its properties, because number one, it is very highly digestible and very well assimilated by the gut, so it's going to give the less, the least probability to irritate this little compromised, you know, generally unhealthy little dog's gut, but secondly... It is a diet that is protein limited, you know, provides enough protein that it's going to provide the patient the protein it needs to perform everyday metabolism, but it limits it in the sense that it's not going to overrun the liver. And protein can be, you know, a bit of of an enemy in the, in cases of chronic liver disease and certainly in cases of chronic bowel disease. And of course, in this case we have both. So this lady calls me up because she was in a conversation with a friend who is a holistic, 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 holistic-minded person. And, and you know, what I talked about two weeks ago is that, look, here's the deal. We love natural, we love organic, we love holistic, and it's a great way to live. It's not the answer to everything. And this is this is case in point because this person told my client, well, what do you have them on that ID garbage for? That, that that prescription diet, it's engineered, it's processed. Animals aren't meant to eat processed stuff. Why are you feeding this processed stuff? See, that's where vets suck. She actually used the term S-U-C-K. This is where vets suck. They want to feed processed crap because they're programmed from vet school to feed that kind of stuff because the pet manufacturers dictate what these guys know about nutrition. It's the the biggest load of garbage I've ever heard. But, you know, this kind of rhetoric is out there. It's all over the place, and it exists time and time again. I run into it every day. So luckily, in the case of this particular client, she called me up because before she made any changes, she had the, you know, the, the luckily, you know, the fortitude to give me a call and not just, take this person's advice over the advice of her licensed veterinarian. So she called me up and basically this person's advice was don't feed this stuff, feed a diet called Evo because Evo is all natural. It's, you know, dense in protein. It's just meat and vegetables. And this is what your dog needs. And you're killing your dog by feeding that ID crap. Although we've been very successful with it. So, you know, here here's here's the end of this story basically the, the owner asked me i'm just running it past you what do you think about this evo stuff and i said look i'm a big fan of evo i think it's a very good diet 
I think it's very nice to have dense protein, to have high-quality protein, to have uh, no preservatives, to have limited grains, lots of vegetables. I think that's a very good thing. However, in your dog's case, dense protein would kill your dog. So number one, we're going to overrun the liver because the, your, the, the liver cannot deal with that level of protein. And what's going to happen is there's going to be all kinds of problems uh, be, because the liver cannot deal with that level level of protein. Number two, good luck controlling that inflammatory bowel disease, the, the tendency to have this chronic diarrhea when you're infiltrating the patient with all that rich, raw protein. So, yes, we love Evo. And it's great for your average everyday patients or for, or for some cases of food allergy or, uh, you know, some, some dietary intolerance that's related to susceptibility to corns or wheat or something of that nature. But in this case, Evo would have killed this dog. So I'm so glad this lady called me and, and I explained this all to her. And she really accepted it. And she said, well, you know, I wanted to call you, number one, because I trust you, but number two... My dog has done really well since you've been in charge of his care. And number three, of course, I don't want to make any decisions without veterinary guidance. So, you know, I really commend her for that because there are some people that would listen to these these folks out there that think that holistic is the answer to everything. Because, you know what, it's the answer to a lot of things. And I like it, but there's you have to do your due diligence. And, and the bottom line of this story is, Always call your vet, especially if you have a good relationship with your vet. Give them a call and just let you know, ask the question because we're there to answer your questions. We're there to not only answer your question but explain why our position is what it is, in 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 you know broken down to a scientific and physiological sense. So, you know, always give us a chance to to rebut somebody who doesn't have any medical training who just thinks all natural is the answer to everything. So, um, you know, that said, before I move on to the news topic that is awesome, I want to first uh, just give you my 800 number for calling here. If you're interested in giving me a call, have any questions or comments regarding anything I'm talking about or anything dog and cat related, the number is one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. So no one's on the queue right now, so we're just going to move on for a moment and talk about this crazy news story. This really caught my eye today because I'm a, a relatively new parent. I have a two and a half year old little boy and I have a three week old little girl. So this is this is this is something that really interests me of course. There is a group out of Catonsville, Maryland that is called let's see yeah, I'm sorry, I'm just kinda of looking at this. I just got this piece of news just a couple minutes ago. Uh, so, so I had to include it in this program because I thought it was just incredible. Dogs Find Dogs is the name of the group. Dogs Find Dogs. They're based out of Cantonsville, Maryland. And their primary purpose for the last three years was to locate lost dogs using trained sniffing dogs. So what, what, what would happen is the dogs would, you know, be presented to an owner who was missing a cat or a dog, and they would take an article of, either clothing from the patient or the patient's bed or the lost animal's collar or something of that nature, have the dog sniff it and then just go off looking for the lost uh, creature. And it was wildly successful and, and you know, something that was really, really a, a, a big help and boost to the community. 
so I mean that in and of itself is really cool, but but this is the really neat part, you know, again being a new parent. These dogs now have been trained to sniff out drugs. <laughs> so, you know, we 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 think about drug sniffing dogs and we think about law enforcement and corrections officers, things of that nature. These dogs sniff out drugs and they're very helpful for that reason to help the criminal justice system. But we never actually thought about using dogs for this purpose to make sure our kids are not dabbling in drugs. So what this agency is offering is that you can rent a dog. And and by the way, I want to mention, I didn't mention this before, they're not for profit. They don't make any money. These people do it out of the goodness of their hearts because they're very proud of their dogs, as well-trained as they are, and all they want to do is continue their organization pay the bills, but they're not making any money off it. So I just want to mention that as well. They're just they're just do-gooders. They're just trying to do good for do well for society and and help society. So, you know, that 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 makes them even more special in my estimation. But they train these dogs to sniff out drugs, specifically marijuana, cocaine, heroin, and methamphetamines. Pretty much most of the main players in drugs that teenagers are doing anyway. And what happens is if you suspect that your child could be on something or, hey, look, you just want to do a routine sweep of the house to make sure that, uh, you know, the kid's not dabbling in something they shouldn't. They can find it in articles of clothing, in the dirty hamper. They can find things under the mattress. They can find drugs basically anywhere. And all it takes is trace particles for them to pick up. So, you know, for 200 bucks an hour, you can hire one of these dogs to just do a clean sweep of your house, to do a clean sweep of the teenagers' rooms. And uh, unfortunately, it's not only teenagers. You know, you, you think of it as a teenage, you know, problem. They're dabbling into something, experimenting. You hope it doesn't, you know, spiral into a, a problematic situation where it's messing up their lives or what have you. But, you know, unfortunately, you hear about younger younger kids, you know, even younger than that, dabbling in this kind of stuff. And this, I think, is a really nice tool for parents that, uh, you know, you can rent drug-sniffing dogs. And and I'll tell you, it, you know, I, I coach youth legal lacrosse, and, um, you know, I'm in charge of uh, little boys between the age of uh, 7 and 10 years old. And, you know, of course, we're, we're that that's the division that I coach, but there's also uh, uh, under 13 division, under 15 division. And, you know, our goal is to provide athletics for kids that to, to keep them out of trouble, to keep them occupied, to give them something really to work for and be proud of. And, uh, you know, it, it's good for organizations like, like what we have going on here with the, with the youth league lacrosse and, and for youth league football and, and for high school athletics. So you want to keep a clean program, make sure these kids aren't dabbling anything. Hey, you know, that's a good warning. Hey, you guys cannot mess around because we have drug sniffing canines that can catch you. I, I just I just find it remarkable. This is a huge thing. It it's already has uh so it's very, very uh you know, a, a very significant following at this point. And Michael Gimble, who is the former drug czar for Baltimore County in Maryland, is a big proponent of this. And uh he's he's trying to really promote this and, and make it kind of a mainstream thing where it'll be in schools, it'll be uh at the behest of parents. Uh, to utilize youth leagues as well as uh, high school athletics just to make sure, you know, we're doing our very best to keep kids off of drugs and keep them free of drugs. 
really, really cool thing. And, and really, I, you know, here I was ready to air today, and, and this news story just came across my email, uh, and I'm really happy I was able to report it to you this evening. So let's move on to our headline topic tonight. Uh, before I do that, real quick, want to shout out one last time. Our call-in number, toll-free, 1-877-878-1435. Feel free to give me a call about anything I've been talking about thus far. 1-877-878-1435. You can call me about anything I've been talking about or off-topic, doesn't matter. You want to ask me a question, I am a practicing veterinarian. I'm here to help you in any way I can. Speaking of veterinary medicine, we're, our next topic is about something specific to veterinary medicine. We're talking about the rise of a disease called leptospirosis. Now, leptospirosis has been a problem since I've been in veterinary school, and I'm sure it's been a problem before then. It was a problem when I first started as a veterinarian back in 2002 uh, when I was, you know, first uh, received my my veterinary degree, and uh, it remains a problem, and unfortunately, it's something that's getting increasingly worse. Um, we actually have a caller on the queue, so I'm going to break off from that story for one second and just take that call for one moment. Caller, you are on the air. Can you hear me? And I have a question about this dog. Um, oh, wait. Hey, hang on one second. I didn't, I didn't catch the first part. I'm very, very sorry. You were uh, you were you were unfortunately muted. Can you start over again? Yes, sir. I said my name is Abby, and we have a dog we got from a shelter, and we've had her about three months now, and she scoots around on her bottom. And my husband keeps telling me that she's got worms, but she's been worms. So could you tell me why she's doing that? That's a very nice question, uh, Abby. Right? Yes. I imagine you're calling from the south? Yes, sir. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate your call this evening. Um, all right. Uh, you know, this is this is a very common problem. Uh, basically, a lot of people think that because the dog has an itchy butt uh, or because it's scooting, the, the behavior you had mentioned is scooting when they when they travel around on their behinds, um, mm-hmm. they, they assume that there's itchy butt, uncomfortable butt because there is, parasites. Actually that's 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 not the case in the vast majority of of cases of this presentation. The reality is that most commonly that means the anal glands are full. I'll explain that in one moment. Um one of the reasons people mistakenly correlate itchy butt with worms is because in people there is a phenomenon called pinworms um which is a parasite which definitely causes itchy butt. It also happens in horses. But this does not happen in dogs or cats. So if there's itchy butt, we don't have to worry about pinworms. Other parasites in dogs that are worms um, more commonly cause flatulence, diarrhea, ill thrift, vomiting, and poor hair coat and loss of weight and things of that nature. So let's get to the itchy butt and the anal glands. What makes dogs a little bit unique from people, and this goes for cats too, but more commonly a problem in dogs, they have these little glands right at the exit tract of their colon or rectum uh, that pr- produce this stuff that fills up in these little sacs right before the anal sphincter where they poop. And, of course, we can't see them, but they're just inside, about the length of you know your the first segment of your finger. And what happens is 
as the dog defecates, that stuff that accumulates from the glands, the feces passes through and presses on those sacs, and that stuff coats the feces. And as a result, the feces gets a distinct scent to it. So in the end, the anal sacs are a scent organ, and they're natural. They're supposed to be there. However, because of centuries of inbreeding and various things and the anatomy not being ideal, the anal sacs will remain more full than they should. And as they get more full and start to get taut, they will cause irritation and itchiness. And if not addressed, they can cause infection and abscess and all kinds of problems. So, uh, Abby, right? Yes. All you need to do is make an appointment with your vet and take your dog down to have those things squeezed out. It takes about two minutes. It's no big deal. Uh, In my office, it costs about $22 to do it, um, and your dog will feel much better. They need to be squeezed out periodically, and basically the way you know if they're full and need to be squeezed out, the dog will be itchy back there or doing that scooting behavior. Okay. Is that why sometimes she leaves a streak on my rug? Uh Uh-huh. Yes, they'll leave a streak sometimes. They'll leave a skid mark. Uh, Basically, the dog's attempting to express them themselves, and uh, unfortunately, it'll leave a stain every now and then. It probably smells really bad, too, right? Yes. <laughs> it is well, a scent Well, thank you. Well, thank you for calling, and I uh, hope you get those things squeezed out and get your dog feeling better soon. I will do that. Thank you. Take care now. Have a great night. Mm-hmm. You too. Bye. Appreciate it. All right. So, so uh, there you go, folks. It's a, a great example of, uh, you know, off topic. She just had a question. And uh, she decided to ask me, and that, that's wonderful. So uh, that's actually a really common problem. So I, I love when relevant things come on the air that that uh, we can that we can answer because it gives me the opportunity to to educate my listeners as we're hearing about these things. And that one is a real common one. So take that advice uh, to your heart and watch out for that scooting behavior. So back to leptospirosis. Leptospirosis. Um, it's it's a unique bacteria because a lot of the things we deal with in veterinary medicine are unique to cats or are unique to dogs. Sometimes we have uh, a disease that can cross species that can affect dogs and cats, cats to dogs, but most things are species-specific for the most part, and that's a good thing. And and I would say the vast majority of things are not transmissible to people. Um, of course, rabies can get all of us, gets all all mammals, so we're very careful about vaccinating for rabies because that's a big human health risk. Well, ladies and gentlemen, leptospirosis is one of those diseases that we call zoonotic, meaning that it can be transmitted from any mammal uh, to another mammal, and that includes humans. Now, human infection is rare, and I'm really happy to report that, but it does happen, and it especially happens in little toddlers and uh, people who are immune-suppressed whether it's chemo patients or people that just have a poor immune system or people that suffer from HIV or something like that. Um, so it's something to be very careful about. In leptospirosis, it's a little bacteria called a spirochete. So spirochetes kind of swim. They can swim. They, they're motile. They can move. And it's passed through the urine of, of, of anybody or any mammal that's infected. It's actually very common in squirrels. So... So, you know, when we see squirrel populations that are very dense, we worry about the, the possibility of them urinating and, and, and collecting this spirochete 
bacteria that can actually swim around in puddles and other fresh standing water that can infect our dogs and cats if they drink the water or mess around in it. It can even be absorbed by the skin. So it is a real risk. It's something that we need to be concerned about because it can infect us, particularly, as I said, our children or those who are immune suppressed for whatever reason. There is an effective vaccine for it, ladies and gentlemen, not for cats. We always recommend keeping cats indoors um, anyway. So, you know, that that's the best policy. I won't get into that right now. That's for another episode. But for dogs that have, you know, for the most part, have to go outside to urinate that get walked on a regular basis. If they have access to fresh standing water, ponds, lakes, puddles, things of that nature, if they uh, have uh, a backyard that they have regular access to that is very uh, has a very dense squirrel population, um, these dogs are at a bit of a risk for this. And, and in, in the case of dogs, it, it causes kidney and liver failure. Um, 50% of cases die even with treatment, so it's something we need to be very careful about. There is a vaccine for it if you find your dogs at risk based on the things I'm telling you. In people, it causes the same kind of problems. A little bit less liver, more kidney failure in people, but it's not something to take lightly. So I will tell you, it is something that you want to think about. I don't vaccinate every dog for it. What I try to do is take disease overall risk and keep my vaccinations reasonable. We don't want to over-vaccinate, but we don't want to under-vaccinate. We want to make sure we're giving the right number of vaccines for that patient's individual risk. So just ask your veterinarian. This is my dog's lifestyle, and you know th- this, is, this is how he lives. This is his access to this, that, or the other. From my point of view, if they have regular access to lakes, ponds, puddles, Um, other fresh standing water, or if there's a dense squirrel population in areas that they frequently, um, you know, exist in or play in, vaccinate those dogs for leptospirosis. It can not only save your pet's life, but it can, you know, be something that protects your overall family's life as well. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com slash ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.